that's hard. I, I, I don't pretend to know how hard it is, but brother, we love you, and we're very glad to have you back in our service with us this morning. So welcome back, brother. Welcome back. This is a hard season when, uh, for many who have lost loved ones in the last year or two, and Christmas is a time where we gather together as family. We were actually talking about this as a family this morning. Uh, I look around the room and know several of you. Miss Debbie lost her father just recently. And so for those of us, especially those of us who, lose, uh, who have lost parents, um, it might be the first time that you've ever known a Christmas uh, without them. And so uh, our hearts and our prayers and our love uh, is definitely with you uh, here this, this time of year. And so we'll be praying for you and, and loving on you uh, here uh, over this Christmas holiday. Take your Bibles, please, and open them to John chapter 1. Breaking away from Exodus this morning, and uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1. I really do want to encourage you, um, don't skip, uh, if, if you wanted to show honor to someone whose birthday it was, you would go to their birthday party. Um, so Christ, our Christmas Eve service is kind of like our birthday party for Jesus, right? So I would encourage you to make a Christmas Eve service uh, part of your uh, just annual tradition to celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, I know many of you um, are actually even with family at other churches, and uh, I encourage that. G- gather with family and gather to celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior. This uh, Friday evening, we will have our uh, annual Christmas Eve service, and there'll be a lot of singing and devotional. We'll celebrate communion together to remember both his birth and his death on our behalf. And I do have a small gift for each of your families that's a kids-oriented uh, gift that will be given to you um, if you... Uh, are here this, uh, this Friday night. John chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 18. This is a passage that many of you have memorized. I was listening uh, to someone quote this passage uh, in, uh, in my car yesterday. I was listening to someone preach from this passage, and there was someone who was reading it. And all of a sudden, one of my children chimed in and quoted the entire thing with them. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know you had this memorized. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And of course, you know that this Word is referring to Jesus Christ. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Verse 14 is where we're going to focus this morning. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. This is John who had first-hand eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was eternally before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace, Upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Father, I truly believe it's impossible for us to fully understand what's going on here. But please help us to understand to the best of our ability the significance that the Word was made flesh. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Do you ever feel needy? In one of the songs that we sang this morning, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something for my weary soul. There was the phrase, you know, something, something for my weary soul. Um... Do you ever feel weary? And I don't mean physically weary, but I just mean weary spiritually, emotionally, physically, psychologically, just weary. Do you, do you feel like there are a lot of problems in the world that you don't know what to do about? I mean, you really don't know what to do about them. You don't know what to believe. You watch the TV, you don't know what to believe. Do you believe Fox News or do you believe CNN? Do, do you ever feel like you don't know who to trust? A pastor that you thought was trustworthy, you find out about scandal. You hear him say something that you realize was, is doctrinally wrong. Do you, do you, you don't know what to do about the situation at work or the situation with your family or the situation with your spouse you, you really you just you don't know what to do you don't know what the truth is in this situation maybe you maybe you don't know if you really believe all of this christianity stuff i mean is this is this really true is this really real i mean we're putting all of our eggs in one basket here we talked about this in sunday school for a minute this morning right i mean is religion real or is it just a human construct to help us cope with life as we know it and we're going to die, and it's going to be zeroed out. It's just black. You just die, and there's nothing. But are we, are, are we sure about, I mean, like that this guy 2,000 years ago comes, and he lives perfectly, and so somehow that is going to help me when I die? Do you ever feel like you don't know the difference between fact and fiction? Do you ever feel like there are too many bad people getting away with too much bad stuff? You just want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Do you want righteousness to prevail, justice to prevail, truth to prevail? Do you feel like you desperately want truth? 
But then when you think about truth, you have to realize, do you really want truth? Do you really want righteousness? Do you really want justice? Because justice and truth means you're a rascal, you're a knucklehead, and the judge who judges justly will bring justice. Do you really want truth and righteousness and justice? See, we want truth, but we also know that we desperately need grace. You're aware that you have needs as well. You are aware that you have been a terrible parent. You're aware that you have been a terrible spouse. You are aware that you are a terrible employee. You are aware that you are a terrible Christian. And you don't want truth, justice, and righteousness brought into your life. You want grace. You know that you need people to be patient with you. You know your weakness and your insecurity and your failures and the moments where you're all alone with your own thoughts and you aren't sure what to do with you. Are you afraid that God is frustrated with you? Are you afraid that God is disappointed with you or annoyed with you? See, we think we want truth, but we don't want truth without grace. And grace is meaningless and pointless without truth. The end of verse 14 describes Jesus as being full of two things. I want your eyes to be on your copies of the Scripture. So look down. If you've got your phone, your iPad, your Bible there in front of you. What does it say that Jesus was full of? It says that Jesus was full of, say it with me, grace and truth. Here's my main point this morning, and it's going to make no sense to you whatsoever when I read it. And then I'm going to explain it to you for the next 30 minutes, and then it'll make sense to you, I think. Everything you need is camping out in your backyard. Everything you need is camping out in your backyard. Now, whatever you think that means, I can assure you, that's not what it means. <laughs> let, me, let me try to explain to you why I'm using a little bit of a different kind of main point this morning. Everything you need is camping out in your backyard. First John, or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 14 says the Word, which is referring to God, and it's referring to Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This morning, we are going to look at something that I am convinced, that I'm more certain of than ever, that we can't actually fully comprehend. And we're going to do our best to understand as much of it as we can. Point number one this morning, God takes on flesh. God takes on flesh. Now, if you understand a little bit of theology... Our first response to that statement, God takes on flesh, is to state in return, that's impossible. God is a spirit, 
He doesn't have a body. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. You can't take God and make him into flesh. The word is made flesh. Well, let's ask a few questions as we move toward our understanding of how that can even make any sense whatsoever. Who is the word here? Well, first of all, let's go back up into verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. The word was God. God is the word. God is a spirit, and you can't see him. And the Bible says if you see him, you die. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. You remember our story in the Old Testament in Exodus where Moses desires to see the glory of God and what God does in that moment is he hides Moses there in a rock and God's glory passes in front of him and Moses is allowed to see the back end of the glory of God. I mean, he's not even getting a look at God. It's like he's letting uh, Moses see a little bit of the backside of the shininess of his glory And Moses falls to his face. Moses doesn't get a full-on visual uh, picture of God because God is a spirit. But here it's describing in verse 1 that the word was God, but it's also describing that the word was with God. And so here we are introduced once again to the idea of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, each person fully God. This sermon isn't intended to be an extended sermon about the Trinity. Um, But again, if you want something to make the gears of your mind really grind to a halt, spend some time studying the Trinity. Here in John chapter 1, the word, word is used over and over again. What What is the word? Why is Jesus, and we know it's Jesus being referred to here, why is why is Jesus referred to as the word? Well, In the Greek New Testament, the word word is logos. And to the Greeks, the idea of the word was the idea of your reason, um, what what made you who you are. And to the Hebrews, it described uh, one's personality. And so the, the word, the reason the word word is being used here is it's describing the fullness, the personality, the very essence of God. It's the full self-disclosure of someone to someone else. So the word is the full expression, the full uh, expression of God. And verse 14 is one of the most succinct statements on the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the Scripture. The incarnation, that's a word that you may not use every single day. Incarnation, that's the idea of taking on flesh. When we talk about God's incarnation or Christ's incarnation, Jesus Christ, uh, the second member of the Godhead, takes on a physical body. God takes on flesh. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now we have to understand something here. The fact that you aren't raising your hands and arguing with me and saying, whoa, 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 hold on a second. What are you talking about? God is taking on flesh means that we're so familiar with this story that we've lost a little bit of the wonder. 
Imagine, imagine the, uh, the ancient uh, Hebrews, uh, our stories in Exodus, where they stand before Mount Sinai and there is lightning and there is thunder and there is earthquakes going on and they're aware God is a spirit and God is communicating to us through his servant Moses and we've been given these commands and we see the awesomeness of God. In fact, we can't even go and touch the mountain and we don't know, I mean, God isn't at a specific point. He's revealing some of his glory here on this mountain, but God is a spirit. And had you walked up to one of those Israelites during that day and said to them, hey, guess what? God is going to take on human flesh and become a man. They would have absolutely no category whatsoever. They would think that's an absolutely impossible statement. There's no way that what you just said makes any sense whatsoever. Are you watching this? God is a spirit. God is this power. Like there, you don't contain that in the form of, of human flesh. And yet here in the Gospel of John, we're, we're hearing a story that's the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, and G- Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, where God promises that the seed of the woman would come and become a, crushant, uh, a, a serpent crusher. God takes on flesh, and I'm going to ask you, flip over to Philippians chapter 2. While 1 John chapter 1 verse 14 is one of the most succinct passages on the incarnation of Christ, Philippians chapter 2 is one of the most clear and one of the most helpful when we talk about what exactly is going on here. Philippians chapter 2. Now let's just think about this for a second. I've already kind of alluded to this. Is God omnipresent. And omnipresent means fully and completely everywhere simultaneously. Is God omnipresent? Yes, the Bible teaches that God is omnipresent. So right here is God. And if you went to Hartley, God is in Hartley. And if you went to the core of the earth, God is there. And if you went to the outer reaches of outer space, God is there. And God is everywhere in between, fully and completely present and and aware. And we're like, yeah, we know that. That's, one of, uh, that's another one of those things where when you really stop and think about the significance of what that is, it doesn't take much to shut my mind down, but boy, that really starts to grind my gears in my head. Is God omnipotent? That's the idea of he's all-powerful. He has absolute and complete. So not only is God everywhere fully present, but God is the one, the Bible says, who created all things, but he's also the one who sustains all things. Every, all the planets are spinning in their orbits because God is keeping them in their orbits. Your heart is beating right now, I assume, because, I, 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 not, I don't assume because of God. It is, I assume, beating. And if, if it is, it's beating because God is keeping your heart beating to every human being that's alive on the planet to all of the solar systems that are out beyond the reach of our solar system. God is keeping every, God is omnipresent. He has all power. And by him, all things consist. God is omniscient. It means he knows everything. He is, he is completely aware of all things, past, present, and future, simultaneously. God doesn't exist within time the way you and I do. I'm going to stop because I have no idea what I'm talking about. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. So God 
taking on human flesh has to mean that he's no longer God. Because he's not omnipresent. He's in Bethlehem. And he's not in Wichita. He's not omniscient. He says when, when people are asking about when he'll return, I don't even know, I don't know the time. Only the Father knows the time. What's going on here? Philippians chapter 2 helps us understand what many theologians call the kenosis of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what that is or haven't heard of it, that's okay. Some of you have. Philippians chapter 2 says this, verse 6, referring to Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, and that form of God doesn't mean that like God was stamped out of a stamp and then Jesus was stamped out of a stamp as well. This is the very essence, the very nature. Though he was very God, the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So this passage is making it abundantly clear that Jesus is God. He is the form of God, the equality with God that he does have. He's not considering it something that he is grasping and holding on to, but makes himself of nothing. And it actually describes, the, the, the Greek there it describes it as uh, he, his being pouring himself out. How, how can God be a man? Let me, let me try to explain this, um, what, what Jesus Christ is doing here when he takes on the form of man um, with an illustration. Uh, this was very helpful to me as I, I read illustration like this um, as I was preparing for this sermon this week. Um, theologians call this subtraction by addition. That God is fully God, and when God, when the God-man Jesus, when Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, takes upon Himself humanity by adding humanity, um, there is subtraction by addition. I thought this was a helpful illustration. I hope hope you can find some help in it. Uh, so I I just washed my pickup truck yesterday, so it's bright and shiny and it's red. In two weeks from now. My pickup truck is not going to look like my pickup truck. It's going to look like it did at 11 a.m. yesterday. Brown and dingy and dusty and dirty because I'm going to take it driving around and I'm going to drive out on some farms and I'm going to drive down some dirt roads and I'm going to drive down some gravel roads and I'm going to go hunting over the next couple weeks a few different times. And in two weeks, the shine, the, the brightness, the glory of my truck will be diminished, not because I took something away from my truck, but because I added something to my truck. I'm sure there are ways to poke holes in this illustration. But brothers and sisters, when God comes in human form, he doesn't get rid of his divinity in order to become a man. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. He takes upon himself humanity. I was trying to think of it uh, this way, and I thought about illustrating it, and I probably should have done it. But imagine you have a really powerful flashlight, and then you have a paper bag with a bunch of holes in it, right? And you put that paper bag 
over the, the turn the flashlight on, and its glory is shining everywhere. And you put the paper bag over the flashlight, and there are beams of light that are coming out from that from that flashlight, and you know that flashlight is there, and that flashlight is real, and that flashlight is on, but it's been veiled. It is take not because you took light and brightness away from the flashlight, but because now it is veiled with you've added something to the flashlight that's limited its ability. When when God comes to earth, this is the best I can understand, and I don't think I'm saying anything heretical. When God comes to earth, he takes upon himself humanity. He is he is born. I mean, many of well, all of you have been born. Um, some of you have witnessed the birth of a child. And, and the, the bloody, fleshy, um, tender, uh, fragile moments that that represents. And, and God comes into this earth and takes upon himself humanity. So Jesus Christ comes and he is fully God and by addition experiences subtraction. Subtraction by addition. Jesus is God and is God's word, God's full self-expression, God's full self-disclosure. That's why he's called the word. He's the full self-disclosure of God in a way that we are able to see and touch and feel. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There is incredible miracle and mystery in this truth, and the mystery only confirms the reality of it. He's fully God and fully man. Matthew, the book of Matthew, opens with a lineage to show that Jesus Christ comes as a human. It's necessary that he both be both human and divine in order for him to be an effective savior for us, right? If, if Jesus had only been human, well, there was nothing special about his death on the cross. And if Jesus had only been divine, then he couldn't pay the price for the humans that he was coming to rescue. A man can't pay an infinite debt and a God can't pay a human debt. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he dwelt among us. Again, on the Philippians, I was wondering why. I uh, couldn't find what I'm talking about. Back to John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is an interesting phrase, this dwelt among us phrase. That, that he dwelt among us means literally to live in a tent. So God was made flesh and he came and lived in a tent among us. What's the what's what's going on here with with living in a tent? Why not just say he came and he lived on earth or he lived with us? Why say he tented among us? I love how one pastor kind of describes his understanding of what it means that Jesus would come and tent among us. He said this, if you came to live in my town and built a big home with high walls around it, that would communicate something about how you desire to interact with us and to interact with me. But if you pitched a tent in my backyard, I'd expect you'd want to use my bathroom. There would be closeness and intimacy and a sharing of life. And so when, G when God comes in human form, when Jesus comes to this earth and is born 
as a human. He is entering. Imagine the, the infinite demotion that is. When, when God becomes, when creator enters into his creation. When the infinite God who lives in omnipresence enters into time and space. I wish I understood more what I'm telling you about this morning. Jesus comes and he tents among us to communicate to us that he's here with us and for us and among us. You and I don't want to live on the north side of Dalhart. Jesus comes, the creator, comes into his creation, not to live in a castle, not to live in a palace. He takes on flesh and he comes and he tents among us. God takes on humanity and lives with humans. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, right here in our midst, right in the midst. So for the first readers of John's gospel, they would have envisioned when they hear this tent language, they would have understood the tent of the Old Testament, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, where God dwelled with his people in that tent. Remember Exodus as they're walking through the wilderness and they have this tabernacle where God's presence lives. And now instead of God's presence veiled in a tent in the midst of his people, Christ comes and dwells among us in flesh and blood. You can touch God. You can embrace God. You, can, you, you embrace God and you can feel His whiskers against your face. You can smell and see and sitting near Him, feel His sweat. As He eats food, you would hear Him chewing. He gets tired and goes to sleep. He laughs and talks and loves. He is God and He is man. And he chose to come and take on that humanity and live among us. And this is what we celebrate this time of year. The coming of the God-man, the birth of Jesus Christ. Not only was he born, but he lived for 33 years showing us how a man is supposed to live, how a woman is supposed to live. And he does this accomplishing all righteousness for us. Charles Wesley's Hark the Herald Angel Sing song says this, veiled in flesh. Okay, so when you veil something, you kind of hide something. You kind of uh, you, you, uh, cloak something. You veil something. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. You can see the Godhead veiled in flesh. Hail. The incarnate deity, he's saying, we, we hail you, we worship the deity incarnate. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Sometimes these guys write in such a way that it's a little bit hard to understand what they're saying. Okay? What he's saying here is it pleased God to come as a man and dwell with men. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel, Jesus, our God with us. Wesley had spent some time in John chapter 1, verse 14. 
we see his glory. Point number two, we see his glory. Can you imagine seeing God? If I could live during any time in history, if, if, if I could beam into a time of history, easy choice for me, easy choice for me. I would want to live during the time of Jesus' life, and I'd, I'd want to see him. I'd want to watch him. I would love to have met Jesus on earth. This isn't just some sort of this glory that, we get, that, that they see. John says we beheld, we have seen his glory. This isn't just his, like, everywhere Jesus went, there was a halo over his head. We beheld his glory. He had that glowing circle ring over his head. That was really interesting. We beheld his glory. Or he, we beheld his glory. Like every, He just kind of shined. He was cleaner than the rest of us. He was, brothers and sisters, the Bible actually says that there was no form or comeliness. There was nothing about him that we would desire him. I have a feeling that Jesus looked pretty average. Let me see, which, which of you do I think would have looked most? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to. I, I don't think that Jesus was, you know, six foot two and 215 pounds of pure muscle and, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. And he looked like a Middle Easterner. He was probably shortish compared to our normal American expectation. He probably wasn't, wouldn't have been on the cover of, you know, Newsweek's, you know, most influential men of the year. Jesus was very likely average looking. He certainly, I mean, he was, he was a Hebrew, so he looked like a Middle Easterner, not like you and I. But what, when, when John is referring to the glory that they are seeing in Christ, he's talking about the life that they get to watch Jesus live. They're watching Jesus live, and it is glorious. The way he interacts with people is glorious. The way he prays is glorious. When he hangs on the cross naked and bleeding, it is glorious. We beheld his glory. We have seen his glory, glory as of this only son from the father. And the glory that they see is this grace and truth. He is full of grace. His life is one of love lived out. This love is freely offered to everyone. This will not be wishy-washy, unprincipled, sentimental grace. This will be a righteous, God-exalting, costly grace. It will lead Jesus, this babe born in a manger, straight to his death on a cross. Because remember, it's why he had to be flesh. He had to be in a body so the body could be crucified. He had to be human so that he could die. God can't die. So God takes on something that can. Humanity. Be aware that through Christ is all grace. But he is not only grace, he is also truth. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, Jesus is grace and love and mercy. But true love and true grace has a backbone. See, Jesus is also truth. And truth is something that confronts us. Because you and I break truth. You and I live lies. You and I deceive. You and I are deceived. The commands, the ten words in Exodus 
show us that we don't keep the ten words of Exodus. The truth of God's word shows us that we're a sinner. The truth of God's word shows us that there is a punishment that's coming against those who have sinned against him. The truth of God's word says that there is eternal separation and damnation in hell forever because of our sin. That's truth. And the truth is that Jesus is the only way to get back to the Father. Truth is objective. Truth is absolute. And this is, unfortunately, and I'm not sure how, but it's widely contested today, right? People will say, well, that's true for you, but what's true for you isn't true for me. That's impossible. Jesus says, I am the truth. And the truth of the Scripture is that God is the creator of the world and that man sinned against him. And the punishment of that sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God sent his son, Jesus, to be born, to give his life so that those who will turn from their way, turn from their sin, and put their faith and trust in Christ to be their Lord and to be their Savior, they will be born again and rescued and live with him forever. This is the truth of God's word. And just because Christmas is warm and fuzzy and just because we like seeing uh, a baby in swaddling clothes uh, and laying in a manger and just because we uh, feel sentimental about these truths doesn't mean that these truths um, don't lead us to the significance of the truth that we are sinners. You receive God's grace by believing God's truth. See, you need truth and you need grace and our world is full of neither and you're full of neither truth or grace, but you receive God's grace by believing God's truth. You need both grace and truth in order to have either one. One does no good without the other. What good is grace if there is no truth? And truth only damns us if there is no grace. But Jesus comes and he is full of of grace and truth. Do you feel weary? Do you feel like you need truth? Are you uncertain as to who to trust? Are you aware of the shortcomings and failures within you? But there's one who came and he tented among us. He camped out in your backyard and in him is the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. In Jesus Christ, there is complete grace and there is complete truth and he camped out in your backyard. And so that's why I said at the beginning of the sermon, my main point, everything you need is camping out in your backyard because everything you need is found in Jesus Christ. And he came and camped out in our backyard. Jesus is the aha moment. Jesus is the aha perfect for all of your questions, for all of your problems. Jesus is the exclamation point. Jesus is the answer. All the big questions we have, all the answers we need for truth and for grace are found in him. Where did we come from? We read this morning in John chapter 1 that Jesus created us. Why are we here? We've read in the Bible that we are here for his glory. What went wrong? We sinned against Jesus. How can we fix it? You and I can't, but Jesus came and gave us life to fix things. Where are we going? For those who have trust in Jesus, you will spend eternity with him. All of the big questions in life have the answer, Jesus Christ. Remember, we started the sermon with an awareness of what we need. We need grace and truth. We find, we find grace and truth in Jesus Christ. 
So number three, let me encourage you to do this, to behold his glory. That's why when we sang, what was the song I asked you to sing again? Yeah, Behold Our God. That's why I want us to close with this song. It's not a Christmas song technically, but today it's going to be. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Was it written for Christmas? Yeah, we're going to say it was. If you don't know grace and truth through Jesus Christ, let me encourage you, look to him. He's the only place you'll find it. You're not going to find it on Fox or CNN or your own heart. You're not going to find grace from your family members. You're not going to find grace from your friends. You're not going to find grace in yourself. You'll find grace in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life you need. And if you do know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what you should do even still? You should still look to Him. Behold your God. Look to Him. Look to Him in the Word. Behold His face. Meditate on Him. Slow down a little bit during this. Sometimes we look forward to the holidays where we're going to relax, and then instead we hit fast forward. Right? We're already going 100 miles an hour, and then it's like the holidays and we hit fast forward. So instead... Let me give you permission to slow down. Let me just give you one idea, one idea. If three of you do this, I'll be thrilled. I would encourage all of you to do it. For 30 minutes, turn off your phone, completely turn off your phone, put it away. Turn off your television, turn off the radio, and just go into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of those, and just find one of the stories of Christ. Pick a short one. I'm not asking you to spend a whole lot of time reading, reading, reading. Find, find an interaction. Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus telling a parable. Find, find some red letters in, in one of the Gospels. And, and read a story about Jesus. Our Bibles, you know, most of our Bibles have those stories kind of uh, highlighted with a, with a heading above a story. Find one of the stories of Jesus and read it and then reread it and then reread it again. And after you've read it a few times, ask yourself just some really simple questions. Where do I see his humanity in this? Where do I see the full humanity of Jesus Christ? He's, he's weeping because his friend died. He's eating fish because he's hungry with his friends. He's around a campfire, presumably because his hands are cold. He's in someone's home and they're preparing things for him. He's washing feet because bodies get dirty. Where do I see the full display of the humanity of Jesus in this? What do I learn about his glory through his humanity? The, the second question, you know where I'm going with this, where do I see his divinity? Where do I see Jesus being God? Where do I see Jesus doing what only God can do in this story? Someone dirty and leprous comes up to him. So he's living in dust, a dusty, dirty world with sin and sickness around him. And yet he reaches and touches someone who is, who is blind or has leprosy. And they are healed. There I see the divinity of God. And, I, and you know what you're doing when you read a story about Jesus like that and you're looking for his humanity and you're looking for his deity? You know what you're doing? You're beholding his glory. 
That's how you and I behold his glory. We don't, get, we don't have to miss out. We don't have to look at John and go, man, lucky. You got to be with Jesus. I don't get to be with Jesus. All I have is this dumb old book. No, no. With this book and the Spirit of God. Remember, Jesus leaves and says, I'm going to leave you a helper. I'm going to leave you something better. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And you can literally behold the glory of God in the pages of Scripture. The best part of your Christmas doesn't have to be under a tree. It it won't be. The best part of your Christmas doesn't have to be around a dinner table, though that's pretty stinking good most of the time. The best part of your Christmas can literally be 30 minutes alone with you and the Word of God and the Spirit of God, beholding the glory of God. I promise you, He won't disappoint. He won't disappoint. He came and He dwelt among us. Everything we need, grace and truth, came and tented among us. Everything you and I need is camping out in our backyard. I'm going to ask the music team to come. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. and If you don't know Christ, to turn to him today. Talk with me after the service. Talk with Pastor Will. There's just a number of people that would be very happy to visit with you about that. But for many in this room, we, just, we need some time beholding his glory. Beholding his grace and his truth. Beholding his humanity and his deity. Father, I pray that as we go into this week, this wonderful week, help us to understand just a little bit more about what it means that God, the Word, became flesh, became humanity. I don't think we're ever going to completely understand you, God, but I pray that each of us, even the littles in here, the, my young, the little lambs in this room, God, I pray that, that they would just know Jesus is real and Jesus is wonderful and that they love him and that he loves them. Father, for some of us old goats in here, or old sheep maybe, old rams and ewes, I don't know goat language, sheep language. Lord, for, for some of us who maybe have spent a lot of time and we, we are maybe not as... <clears throat> wowed by you anymore as we should be. Forgive us. We're human. Help us this Christmas season, maybe in a way that we haven't done in years, to behold your glory and to be, to be delighted by it and moved by it and strengthened by it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. y'all stand and sing with me.